So welcome to the OA Lighter Candle Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The the opinions expressed here, expressed on Light a Candle Podcast, are those of the individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Leslie E. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Leslie. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Um, thank you, Rashad, for asking me to speak today. Um, you know, it's so interesting. It's, I feel like I had the, one of the hardest weeks of my life. Not of my life. I've had harder weeks. There's always harder times coming, so you never want to say that. But um, but timing is everything. Like, it's the perfect time. I mean, I come to this meeting where Shad said, will you speak? I, my, my answer is always no. You know, like, do, can you do this? I, and what I hate most is when people say, what are you doing on Thursday? I'm like, tell me what it is first, and then I'll tell you. But... I have learned to always say yes, and, and like I said, God, God's got my back. God knows exactly what I should be doing, and I, like I said, my week was extremely challenging. Um, so I am grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be abstinent. I want to welcome you guys who are new, hi, Amy, to um, Overeaters Anonymous and tell you that OA does work, and it's given me such a freedom in my life today with food and my body and that obsession that was so gripping and I couldn't, it's kind of like the big book talks about that part that says the alcoholic's problems pile up and become increasingly hard to solve, which in, in AA is different. There are different problems than in OA. Like in AA, you can see people's problems. You know that they're going down. In OA, it's sort of more internal. It's more of I hated myself so much when I came here, and I could not figure out how to stop eating. I literally couldn't figure it out. I just wanted, they didn't even have liposuction when I came into OA. I wanted to just take a knife and cut my thigh off, you know. Um, But anyway, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, Live meetings are, to me, where it's at. Like, I hear the message much better in person, and I can feel the feeling in the room. So I'm so glad that, you know, I've come here since this meeting started, and um, I'll keep coming. So... Anyway, um, I can tell you in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, what it's like now, because that's what our big book tells us to do. And I know for me that I hear the message by identifying with people's experience and with people's stories. And that's how I know I'm in the right place. And I knew that the minute I walked into OA. You know, I, I grew up in a normal family. My parents like our you know, relatively normal, even though my mom, like, it's so funny how, like, there's all that body shaming stuff now. My mom used to pay my brother to lose weight, and I remember my mom, like, always had ankle weights on, watching Sunny and Cher, and Cher had the flattest stomach, and my mom would be, like, doing her, her weights, and, um, and you all watched TV together back then, like, you had one TV, and so, um, but I was a thin kid, you know, like, I grew up, I was thin, I was an athlete, you know, but I definitely always had that feeling like um, I was never thin enough, you know. <laughs> the thing I have learned in OA, I have been very thin. When I got divorced, I was 
thinner than I am now, like too thin. And I was the most miserable I had ever been. It was the worst time of my life. So it took me so long to really realize that thin doesn't equate happiness. You know, like I know today that my happiness is an inside job. It doesn't come from any shape my body is. It's it's inside. But that it took me so long to get there. And so I... Um, you know, I remember we used to always try to go on a diet when I was growing up. There was like the Beverly Sassoon and, and Vidal um, had some diet. We would all try to do it in high school. But then we I smoked a lot of pot, so we would smoke pot. And then we'd go home and like mow down on everything in the refrigerator. And, um, you know, I always thought like... And then, then we started taking like cross whites and stuff and black beauties, and which is speed, if you don't know. Um, and... Uh, I thought to lose weight, you just stop eating. Like, like I never really realized like you could lose weight by eating. Like people lose weight while they eat. You know, I just thought you're either eating or you stop completely. Um, and so I, we took a lot of speed. I smoked a lot of cigarettes, and then I um, I became a hairdresser in the '80s, and. Uh, I started, well, I started drinking, and I started partying, and I mean, my favorite thing was I would go out to a gay club called Probe with my gay friends, drag queens and such, and they'd make me little clothes that matched their big clothes, and um, dress me up, and, and uh, we were super sparkly, and uh, we would do crystal meth, and MDA, and we'd go to the dirty bookstore and get, like, poppers, and, um, and I, when I did this, I never ate. I'll just tell you, I went like days without eating. I drank grape juice. I drank drinks. I smoked, and um, and I was like, "This is amazing! Like, it's amazing to just not eat." And you know, that time, you know, that's my AA story, which I have to say, my AA birthday is tomorrow. I'll be 37 years sober, so that's a different story. That's a fun story, um, and uh, and you know. I didn't, um, during that time, I, I loved going out, I loved dancing, I loved everything about that until it stopped working, but I never went to the market, I never bought groceries, I never made a meal, like, I, I mean, I just didn't eat, I just thought that that's kind of what you did, and I, I really thought if you were thin, you would be happy, and, um, and I was thin then, so I, uh, and, and this was, like I said, I, I had been a great athlete when I was a kid, and um, uh, and I grew up in this really, like, my dad's an engineer. He worked at Xerox for, like, 47 years. He functions very efficiently. We don't, there's not a lot of emotion in my house. We're like patters, you know, and uh, anytime I told my dad I had a problem, he would say, let's get that on a spreadsheet, you know, and he wanted, he wanted the information so he could put it in the system and he could come up with a solution. And my brother's the same way. He's an engineer. You know, my mom's husband, Bob's an engineer. He worked at Hughes Aircraft. I mean, they're everywhere around me. And everybody's logical and practical, and um, I was not that way. So uh, I'm actually kind of spreadsheetish myself, but I'm creative. So uh, um, so the, the family I grew up in, like I said, didn't really... Uh, there wasn't, like, my mom made dinner every night. Like, we, we did grow up with, like, healthy, good food. So in the end of my my probe days, my, my dancing days, I um, I ended up um, 
getting 12-step by my grandfather. And my grandfather got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous um, January 9th, 1952. Not the first time, but the last time. And he died with 47 years of sobriety in 1999. So it, it's... He brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a miracle. And I came into AA and got sober at um, 22, you know, and I have stayed sober ever since. So I'm a testament that the 12 steps do work, that the, you know, Overeaters Anonymous is based on Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and, um, and all those things came into play then, that willingness, desperation, hopelessness, you know, that... I believe sort of have to be there to surrender, you know, um, and that, but but you can't make that surrender in people. I think that's why, like, so many treatment things don't work, or, I mean, you know, I don't know, you you have to want it. It doesn't matter if you need it, you have to want it. That's why sometimes people have said, can you help so-and-so with their food? And I'm like, I can't. Like, if they want help and they ask for help, I could help them. If they're desperate and they want it, they want it. But I can't, like, hey, you know, it doesn't work that way. We don't we don't solicit people for the program. So anyway, so I ended up getting sober. And what happened to me, which I hear time and time again, I was 22 years old. I got sober. I quit smoking. And I could not stop eating. And it, I could not stop eating. I mean, it was it was terrifying. And if you've been to AA, we have snacks and food and donuts and coffee. And, you know, there's, like, smoking. And, you know, now you can't smoke anywhere. But um, now everybody vapes. Nobody smokes. But um, maybe Kiko smokes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I was just, like, eating at meetings, eating. And, and I was in so much self loathing. I mean, it, it also, that, that brought up all those emotions, which is one of the reasons I, too, I do believe was I was afraid to feel anything. Um, and so that's why I drank, that's why I smoked, that's why I ate, that's why I then, I then was at Clancy's house, and they had this thing called the yard for years and years, and I, all the cool girls were throwing up. And so I learned to throw up at the yard, and um, and I was like, that sounds so great, you know, and um, and so I would, and then I had now gone back to school because I had become a hairdresser in 1980, and when I was 18, which is interesting because I'm still a hairdresser today, and I'm the only person I know who has never been laid off from their job in 40 years. You know, I I still have a job. I it's interesting to me, but I only became a hairdresser because I didn't tie it because I had ditched my first period so many days in high school, and and so you had to type to work in an office, and you also had to wear like a suit and pantyhose or something, you know, back in the day. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Hairdressing, it's fun, you know, which it's not actually just fun; it's actually work. But um, so I was. Um, I don't know where I was going. I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Anyway, so, so I, oh, so I got, so I was going to SMC, and college made me want to throw up. It just made me feel so inadequate and less than, and, and I had always gotten, I could get by for a lot of my life by who I knew. I could give you drugs, you know. I slept with people for things. Like, you know, it worked. It, then I was not doing any of those things. So you had to, like, 
I sat in the front. I took notes. I didn't ditch. I showed up because I had learned to do that in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and um, and it just made me feel so uncomfortable and scared and stupid, and I couldn't raise my hand because I was terrified. And so I would go to SMC on Tuesday and Thursday, and then I would come home. I would close the drapes. I would turn on the TV. I would binge up a storm and throw up. And then I would brush my teeth, and then I would go to my AA meeting. And um, I was like, this is great. You know? and, and what it did, too, and eating did it for me, it's like it just like, got rid of everything I felt. Because I always wanted to never feel. Like my family, as you can see, we are not big feelers. I mean, my dad, I, I, he's like kind of devoid of feeling at this point. But um, there just weren't high emotions. There was no yelling. There was no, even like my mom doesn't tell me she loves me. My daughter's, I was like, why doesn't grandma tell you she loves you? And I'm like, I don't know. We just like never have. I know she loves me because she shows me because her actions tell me she's consistent. She's always there for me, but we don't like, it's not overt. It's just how I grew up. Um, so anyway, so I was doing this, feeling terrible about myself, feeling fat every day of my life. I mean, I learned in OA that fat is not a feeling. Because how do you feel? Fat. No, how do you feel? I feel fat. Like, that's how I feel. Which all that did, like, all that eating puts the perspective in. All I thought about was myself. And that's like even today, like, I go to work. I talk to other people all day long. I know how everybody's doing. I, I find that the less I talk about myself, the better I feel, usually. I told a couple people what had gone on with my week. Um, and at the end of the day, I feel better because you can always find somebody who's doing worse than you. And that's, it's funny because I was praying this week and in my little writing, I thought, I'm going to read the prayer of St. Francis and I'm just going to try to give everything I feel like I should be getting. Because I, I also had a little thing because I told, somebody hit me and I told my car on Friday and last Friday and, and then I felt a little sorry for myself, um, like, like, I'm the rock for everybody. Like, why isn't anybody checking on me? And, and nobody, I feel sorry for myself, which is such a bad place for me to be because I'm really not a sad, pathetic person. Like, I can find a solution. And, and I realized, oh, that's just not my role, you know, and, and I can give what I want back, you know. And, and now a ton of people have checked on me. Lisa Ann checked on me. I did get your voicemail. Um, and uh, anyway, so... So I'm kind of all over the place. Like I was a little spun out. I have been incredibly, insanely busy too. Um, when you total your car, they call you a lot. Like I have had more phone calls from Geico, from this, from that, from the the people who assess it, from where do you want your check or do you want dot? I mean, it's just been this ongoing thing while in the middle of working. So when Rashad texted me and said, "Would you like to speak?" and I thought. No. Um, I mean, I come here every week, and I was like, of course I want to go speak. It's fine. It's a perfect thing for me to do, to get out of myself, and, and to really welcome you guys who are new to OA, because I do believe in Overeaters Anonymous, and I believe in a, a loving higher power that has always helped me. So, um, anyway, so there I am throwing up like crazy, feeling horrible, and then... I remember one time I went to New York to visit my friend, and she lived in New York, and she would go to work, and then I would, like, eat her ice cream down, and then I'd throw up, and then I'd 
oh, I think I went too far, so I'd go eat more, throw up more, go buy more ice cream, try to eat it to the level, and then put it back. I mean, I spent my whole day like doing this. Where I'm in New York, like I could go do things in New York, and and just that kind of in, like that's insanity, you know? It's insanity, and no human power could have stopped my eating, and I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. I didn't stop my compulsive overeating or lift that obsession to eat or the bulimia. Um, only God can do that. And so I, um, I even like towards the end, I mean, I was throwing up at my mom's and she had bad plumbing. I mean, I don't know if any of you bulimics like the, the you always had to find the solo bathroom, you know, and in you know, a like a restaurant or wherever and hope they had a, like, a good flush. And, uh, and then my mom had like it backed up in the flower bed, you know, which is like, oh, that's so weird. You know, there's food. Um, and, just it's it's de- it's demoralizing. It's disgusting, and at the very end, I was afraid to flush that toilet, so I would throw up in a bag and put it in the closet. You know, which is really repulsive. <laughs> One time, I was at at somebody's house for the, at Thanksgiving, and we were talking about bulimia. I'm like, I don't think you guys really want to know the ins and outs of bulimia. Because even my husband's like, what is that? Why would you throw up your food? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, Bob. Like, it's, we don't even need to... Anorexics or laxatives? Like, he is so confused about any of it. He doesn't get it. He's not... It's never a food problem. He can just, like, stop eating something and, you know, that's about it. You know, it doesn't, doesn't do it for him. So anyway, so one time I went to my meeting, um, I'd been throwing up all day, so my eyes were all red, I felt gross, I hated myself like always, because that was the constant thing that went through my head, and um, my sponsor said to me, what is wrong with you? And she kind of looked at me, because we look at each other, you know, you, you, I can tell by looking at somebody how they're doing. That's why I'm not a big believer in texting. I don't have my sponsors text me. I can't tell how you're doing if you text me. I can tell, if I call my sponsor, she can say, are you all right? Like, she can just tell right away. And you get to know people that way. And so I was at a meeting with my sponsor, and she looked at me and asked me that question. I said, I'm fine. And then I was driving home. I was on the 10. I remember I went through the tunnel on the way to PCH, to the Palisades, and I thought, if I lie to my sponsor, what's the point? You know, like I had been sober long enough at that point. It was over a year. Um, you can lie to your therapist. You can lie to anybody you want. You can, you know, it doesn't matter. But, like, my sponsor just really wants my best interest, and I, I knew that, and I trusted her. Um, and so I told her, but I was terrified to tell her because I was like, if I tell her, the gig's up. Because I had all these weird things I did. Like, my formulation of a diet or how I should be eating was some weird thing that had grown and morphed through the years, which, you know, included no beverage, only water, no breakfast, like, who knew where it came from, you know, and, and you know, the, the weighing myself every Monday, um, we had, like, remember, do you remember the, was it the day timer, the time master, it's all color-coded and stuff, and every Monday I would weigh myself and write it in my square, you know, and if the number was high, I ate. If it was low, I was excited and rejoiced in eight. So it, it, but it, it ruled my life. Like I, I felt like the number was on my head, like this, and I just had all these weird things I did, and um, I exercised a lot, um, and so anyway, so 
I, I, told, I called her and told her. And she said, oh, why don't you call this woman? Who I actually still know today. She's in AA. I don't even think she's in OA. And I called her, and she said, oh, go to... Maybe she had gone to OA, or maybe I looked it up, but I w- ended up going to this anorexic bulimic meeting literally right near where I live, like right down here on Dorothy or on, I don't know where it was. And um, it was like a sexuality meeting. And I went to that meeting. I knew how to go to meetings, and I knew that I knew that the program worked. Um, I, knew, I knew how to do it because I was, I'm a good AA. You know, I was doing everything. And so I went into that meeting, and oh, my God, did I identify. You know, um, I was like, God, they're speaking my language. You know, it was all these anorexic bulimic girls who all looked normal on the outside, you know, and just talked my talk, you know, and that's the thing is that um, I identify here, you know, I can feel the message in my heart, and that's where I get the hope, is by hearing the message, you know, and so um, I heard, if you keep coming back, you will stop throwing up, but I was like, I don't want to stop throwing up, because I don't want to gain any weight, you know, and then I was told, you don't have to gain weight, you just have to be willing to gain weight doesn't mean you're going to gain weight. Like, nobody really knows. I don't know what your journey is. I don't know. I don't know anything, you know. Like, I love when people now want you to sponsor them and they want to interview you. I find that the, like, really? Like, I just ask people. That's how I've always done it. Or so-and-so would say, why don't you ask so-and-so? And it has always worked out. The interview is weird. Like, how can I tell you what your spiritual experience is going to look like? I don't know, you know. But I can have you do what I do. And you'll have a different experience also. And you'll probably sponsor in a different way too. But um, it's an interesting thing. Like, it's not, we're not selling a program here of, like, it's not, you know, it's just my experience. So anyway, so I, um, I kept coming back. I started calling people. I went to regular meetings. And we, we used to go to the, I don't think anybody here went there, but to the Drug and Alcohol Center on Santa Monica Boulevard, there was an anorexic bulimic meeting at 8.45. It's so freaking late. Like, I'm getting ready for bed now. But um, And we were insane. Like, we all went to Cafe Figaro before all, I don't know if you've ever eaten with all those anorexic bulimics, but everybody had a complicated order. <laughs> Hold that, this on the side, no, da, 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 you know, there was no dressing on anything ever, you know, and... And we were just whacked out and just a bunch of crazy little girls. And we would go to the meeting, and um, and I just kept coming back. And I know a lot of those girls to this day. I mean, one of them, my friend Eej, just sang at my wedding, you know. And, um, uh, and so eventually, I remember... Um, the day I got abstinent, because, like I said, I kept coming back, I kept making calls, I probably I got commitments, I was going to regular meetings, and um, it was Thanksgiving, 1987, Thanksgiving, you get it, and I was supposed to go to a big AA Thanksgiving, so there's a lot of food, and I was living at my mom's, like, in the guest house, and um, I was like, I can't go, I can't go, because I'll, I can't go, I'll just eat and eat and I can't go and but I'll just stay home and eat and eat and throw up so what's the difference you know so I was sponsoring a girl in AA but she was in OA so we were like we'll go together and that's why I can't we can it's a we program it's we don't sit home and do this by ourselves alone you know and that's why with the zoom thing I think we have to come back together 
we have to come back together or I feel like the program will dwindle. Like kind of the foundation, which is coming into a room, sitting in a room, and having that hope. You can get it on Zoom, but I believe you get it more live, you know. And um, so me and this girl, I don't even remember her name, we went to uh, this big party and we went in the bathroom, we said a prayer, and we said, God, please help us to eat an abstinent meal. And we got one plate of food, we ate our plate of food, and we went back in the bathroom, we got on our knees together, and we said, thank you, God, for our abstinent meal, and let us be done. And I didn't eat anything else, I didn't throw up, I think I went off to the meeting that night where they had more food, and I didn't eat anything else, and that was my first day of abstinence. And so I have been abstinent ever since that day, you know, which is just remarkable, you know, that um, at 33, I'll, yeah, I'll be 34 at Thanksgiving, so 33 in I don't know how many months. But, um, and so it's interesting that it was like the worst day ever, but the best day ever, because it's never a good time. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's never a good time to get abstinent, but um, that's what God had it for me. And so I was going to meetings, I was doing stuff, and I, I, my food in the beginning, my abstinence is I don't throw up no matter what. doesn't matter what I eat. I've eaten some jacked up things, and like, there were a couple things where I, I literally had to go to bed because I'm like, I think I'm going to... I'm not going to make it without throwing up. But but I was like, I cannot throw up no matter what. And I, I do believe, like, people are always like, what's the abstinence? What's the food plan? I think that is my abstinence. That is something I can do. Obviously, I've had to do it for a long time. My food was all over the place. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to eat three meals. I could never do it. So I was like, three meals and a snack. Okay, great. I could do that, you know, and... Um, I had to make it so I was a winner. You know, sometimes people are like, I'm going to eat no sugar, no flour, no. And I'm like, okay, well, as long as it's something you can continue to do, like while out of town, while pregnant, while, you know, there are a lot of things that happen in life, you know. And so I have been able to do that um, consistently all that this time. And then my food has changed many times, like over the course of all those years. And so... In the beginning, like, I got rid of my scale. I mean, I can't weigh myself. I It just was shown to me recently. I went to the doctor in, like, February, and I've been to the doctor many times. I mean, I've had cancer. I've had, you know, I've been to the doctor a lot, and um, I usually just turn around and just say, oh, I, I don't want to know what I weigh. But I thought... I'm a big girl. What does it matter? So I didn't. And I was literally like three pounds more than I thought I was. And it it threw me into this weird thing, which for me screws me up. Some people need to weigh to keep them accountable because they're in denial. But it, 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 it made me so wacky that I had to really dive in and kind of, you know, get back to basics and you know, we, I don't, I, I don't call, I just dial my food down and just really start having a better plan. And, and I'll get more into that. But, um, so I got rid of my scale. I don't weigh myself because I weighed myself every Monday for, I can't even tell you how long. I mean, it was like torture. And we actually have a scale in my house. Bobby uses it. Um, uh, and sometimes I'm like, can you weigh the cat? Cause she, you know, she, you know, I've had sick cats and I'm like, can you just weigh the cat? And he's like, well, you just weigh the cat. You just get, and I'm like, I'm not getting on the scale. You get on the scale and then you get on the scale with the cat and you're going to weigh the cat, you know, but I'm not, and the cat won't stand on the scale. So, 
uh, I'm like, I, it, it doesn't work for me. You know, it just doesn't work for me. And so I got rid of that. Um, I started, you know, calling a sponsor and taking commitments. And, and then, like, I think around six months, like, I was secretary of that meeting, and people wanted me to sponsor them. And I'm like, why would I sponsor you? I have nothing to give. Now, I also hear that a lot from people. Like, I can't sponsor. I'm like, yes, you can, because by sponsoring, it keeps you. You could just be a teeny bit ahead. You don't have to be very far ahead, but just, I was just a little bit ahead. And so the, when I started sponsoring is when my abstinence and my OA life turned around because I love the girls I sponsor and I never would say the things that their head said to them. It's like the things that I would say to myself in my head, like my friend Joby always says to me, like, you like take out the big stick and just beat yourself up. Like, we don't look at you that way. And so I've heard people say things, girls, you know, I don't sponsor guys, but, um, say things about themselves, and I wouldn't think that ever, you know. And I even sponsored this girl who was a professional athlete, and she, I remember she said, you know, people are like trees. Like, there are all these different trees in the world, and they're all really beautiful, but they're all different shapes and sizes, you know. And I was like, oh, I, I, I can, I like that. That's like a nice visual that, you know, we're all the way God meant for us to be. And I realized, too, that I don't have control over my body. I have lost that I never had control, you know, and so that's why I had to let go, and I used to have to pretend, like I would walk down the street, hating myself, feeling fat, like I said, I, it, it was, it went on for so long, I mean, it's such a waste of time, like I wasted so much time with that, and I would walk down the street and think, how would I feel if I was exactly the weight I thought I should be, or if I was five pounds thinner, or ten pounds thinner, you know, wherever you're at, it, and I'm like, I'm just going to pretend I feel like that today, you know, like, because we are living a day at a time, and you'll never have this six, 609 sitting at light a candle on, you know, June 18th again, you know, and, and so I really, um, I started wearing clothes that fit. That was another big thing. I'd be like, my pants are tight. I'm going to keep them on, you know, and then, then I want to kill myself all day, and then it would make me want to eat. So if, if things were really bad, i just put on a dress, you know what I mean? So I wore clothes that fit, that were looser. And as I started to care about you and as I started to help others, I started to get better. And, you know, I went through the steps, and I wrote an inventory, and, um, you know, my life got better. I remember I got married to my first husband, and I, I also learned that if there's food in my house and it's calling to me, I can get rid of it. I can just throw it away. I lived on the 12th floor on Ocean Avenue at that point, and there was a trash chute very close to my thing. So I would just throw things down the trash chute. My husband would come home and be like, where's my brownies? And I'm like, I threw them down the trash chute. You know, and... Um, uh, anyway, I've had people pull up and go, I have bread in my car. And I'm like, give it to me. You know, and I take the contraband and, you know, take your bread and, you know, just different things. And, and that was, like, actually super helpful to me because you always feel like, I should give it to somebody who needs it, you know. Somebody, why well, throw away a good food, you know. But I, I threw away a lot of things down that trash chute. And, um, and you know, I got pregnant when I was uh, in 1991, so... I don't know. I can't. I can't do math right now. But um, 
I got abstinent at 87, so whatever that is. And when I got pregnant, I really had to let go of, I am not in control of what's going to happen with my body. And my eating changed. Like, I was hungry, like, genuinely, like, wow, I'm hungry. And I ate, like, normal food. I, um, I worked out, like, I've always worked out, and I do kind of believe that, well, if there's many things, if written today, you know, that that pause, you know, restraint of tongue, pen, email, text, you know, those would be in there. And and I think that kind of exercise is also a spiritual thing, you know, whether you're walking, whether you're swimming, running, you know, that it, it sort of connects me to God. And I did exercise when I was pregnant and had a baby and my body went back. And then that's when I got divorced. When my daughter was one, my husband moved out and um, we got divorced. And it was excruciating. It was the most painful thing I had ever felt. I didn't even know there was pain like that. And I was smoking cigarettes, like, again. And, um, oh, I was just so uncomfortable. And I was eating, but I was, I, I was bad. And I was really thin and I was really miserable, you know. And, um, but I got through that. And my sponsor really pushed me to be a good single mom, even though I did not want to be that. And um, I can say that my daughter actually is leaving, I think, at 6.30 tonight. She had to leave early because of the whole snafu in my week also. She was supposed to be here till Tuesday. But, um, you know, I raised a really great kid. You know, she's smart. She's intuitive. She's kind. She's an amazing chef, actually. I walked in last night and had an amazing dinner. I was like, God, can I just have this all the time? Like, Because when she was growing up, she'd be like, what's for dinner? I'm like, again? I'm like, oh, my God, it's never ending. Like, some of those things, like, just evaded me. Like, the make the bed. You know, I'm a big believer in making your bed. I think messy bed, messy head. Like, the first thing I do in the morning is drop to my knees. I roll out of bed, get on my knees, ask God to help me. It's very quick. God help me. Or I say, good morning, God, reporting for duty. And, um... And then I make my bed, and then I've done one thing, you know, that day. And uh, and my daughter is like, she grew up, her dad is also sober, and, and I have to say her and her dad and I are super good friends. Actually, when I had my car accident, he is LAPD. I called my husband. I called the girl I was going to pick up because I'm secretary of the meeting I was going to to tell her I would not be at the meeting with the format. And then I called my ex-husband to ask him what I should do um, because I was in shock because my airbag deployed and hit me, um, which is kind of disturbing. And um, uh, so I am so grateful that, you know, the big book talks about we're not, we cannot... We cannot afford the luxury of justified resentment. It'll cut you off from the sunlight of the spirit. And so I worked really hard to get along well with my ex-husband. And um, my daughter used to say, can't you just fight like normal people? Like, why do you always have to, like, agree, you know? And um, and we do, you know, um, and, which is awesome, you know? And that didn't happen overnight. That was a, a long thing. And, and like I said, I, had, I got cancer when I was... Um, like in 2010, I got diagnosed with this rare kind of eye cancer called ocular melanoma. Um, I was told I would lose, lose my vision. Um, I was told I might die. But um, uh, I was like, oh, that won't happen to me, you know, which they're pretty smart at Jules Stein. So I, I actually can't see very well because I had radiation in my eye. And um, I had to accept that, you know. It's, it's so interesting. I never tell people I can't see while I'm cutting their hair, you know. Um, they all think I have glasses so I can see, but I really, I, my vision was blown out from the radiation. But um, but it's so interesting because I, I felt sorry for myself a little bit about that. And recently I was over there having a, I, I used to go a lot. I don't go as much now. And I was talking to my doctor who, she said, 
<laughs> they're like, can you read the, the letter on the chart? And I think the biggest one is an E. I don't really know because I can't actually read it. But I said, I can't read it. And she goes, okay, read with the other eye. And I'm like, bah, bah, bah. you know, I can read great. And so she goes, okay. I said, well, I'm, I can't see. I mean, my vision's worse. And she's like, well, you can see. And I said, no, I can't see with that eye. She goes, you can see with your other eye. And I'm like, oh, my God, no sympathy from her, you know. And, and so she's like, it, it's all in your perspective. Like, like, my life is all in my perspective. Like, I can either feel sorry for myself, which I started to do this week. Like, I totaled my car, which my daughter was nagging me to get a new car because she was, wants me to have sensors because of my eye, which I can actually see in the broad daylight. It's harder at night. But um, I said, look, you, you got your wish. I totaled my car. I'm getting a new car. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, I can focus on the good, and the go- good will grow. Like, I had great insurance when all of that happened. I, I, I love my doctor. She's so smart. And um, uh, she performed this horrible surgery. I mean, I've had every gross eye thing you can imagine, shots, stitches, everything, you know, things sewn in. Anyway, but um, if you ever have eye problems, everybody comes to me. And uh, so, but but it's all in my perspective, which kind of brings me to today. Like, today, I get up. I planned my meals. I had breakfast. I had my daughter pack me lunch. It was very cute. I had my lunch at work. I'll have my dinner when I get home. And um, I can always double down. Like, it, it, it's using the tools. Like, you're never far away, you know. And I can always sort of recommit, go to more meetings, reach my hand out, check on other people. You know, like I said, I kind of cleaned up my food recently and um, just was really conscious of what I was actually eating and... Um, which you have to have a plan. Like, God doesn't do meal delivery. You know, like, I can pray, but then I have to, like, take action. You know, so there's sort of the prayer, and then there's action. You know, it says in the book, action, action. You know, there's more and more action. So um, so today, like I said, I'm pretty um, happy, joyous, and free. Like, I, I actually love my life. I love all the tools I've been given. I love the girls I sponsor. They keep me, you know, I, I pray and meditate every single day of my life. And um, because I tell other people to do it, so I better be doing it. And my days go a lot better when I'm, like, walking with God, you know, because God's got my back. And I like, the, in, recently in my 24-hour day book, it says, you know, a body of water has to have an intake and an outtake or it becomes stagnant. So, so this program can't flow into me and stop. If I don't give it away, I won't keep it. And that has come up time and time again. So that's why I keep coming back and why I keep sticking my hand out, answering my phone, saying yes. I also don't believe that you say no when people ask you to sponsor them. I think that's a weird thing because sometimes the people I've wanted to say no to have been the greatest gifts in my life. Like God is always working. God is sneaky and old and works really slowly and you never really understand. But when I look back through my life, there are all these little breadcrumbs like along the way and you can see the connect the dot, how everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Even my husband now, Bobby, I worked for his mother when I first got sober at a job I did not want because I thought it was beneath me and embarrassing. He used to bring in our paychecks. I left there. 17 years later, we met and got together and got married and he's perfect. We have an amazing relationship. He's kind, he gets me, he adores me like any way I am. He doesn't care about weird food stuff. He knows not, he never makes my plate. He knows something's really wrong with me if I'm like, yeah, you can make my plate because I, I don't like you making my plate. I don't like it at all. So um, uh, 
you know, so God, God's, God's up there doing stuff. And, so, and I also read this thing recently. I've read it before. But, you know, God's strength is available if I ask for it. So I just have to ask for it. And it's there for me. So that's why I ask every day for that strength and that power. And then that way, when Rashad says, can you speak tonight at Light a Candle? I say, yes, because my normal response is no. I've done a lot of things this week I have not wanted to do. But I say yes, and then I'm like, oh, that kind of worked out perfectly. So what do I know? You know, I don't know anything. And, and if I'm not going to give it away, I'm not going to keep it. And and I am abstinent a long time, and I am really grateful. And I do have a daily reprieve based on my spiritual conditions. So I try really hard to, you know, connect with God. And, and, and the, the food stuff... Like I said, now my food's more peaceful. A lot of people I've been talking to lately are having trouble, and so we're all kind of doubling down together and, and you know, reading new literature and kind of, you know, just letting it go because I'm not going to starve to death in between a meal. You know, like I can eat my breakfast, and if I know where my lunch is, I'll be fine, and I can live my life during that time period, you know. And so today I'm grateful. Welcome, if you're new. Welcome. It's good to see you here, and welcome, you know, um, and I can tell you that OA does work, and, you know, go to a lot of meetings. If you didn't identify with me, you'll hear somebody you identify with and get a sponsor, and you go through the steps, and, and your life will change in miraculous ways, and it's not really about the food, you know, um, but I myself cannot put that down. You know, something has to help me and give me the power to do that. So, you know, God couldn't would if you were sought, and so today I'm going to be a seeker, and it's great to see you all, you guys, and thank you for having me.